So, we're up against the Forbidden Arts again. I don't know how to tell you this. There's no rescuing Elise. It's impossible. I made her a promise, Scully. And I will keep it. Well, I, I, of course, I mean impossible for a non-swan princess person, but for you only next to impossible. Welcome to the Bad Princess Movie Podcast. This is the podcast that seeks to catalog all of the terrible movies about princesses and princesses-to-be. I am Christy, and I am here with my friend Brie. Hello! And we are here today to talk about Swan Princess 5, A Royal Family Tale. Yet we're jumping in with the fifth one. Yes, so this is the fifth installment in the Swan Princess series, um, but it's the second film to be animated in CGI. Glorious, glorious CGI. Yes. And we are we are jumping in here specifically because the first CGI film, Swan Princess 4, was a Christmas movie, so we're going to save that one for Christmas time, obviously. Mm-hmm. But... We just, I, I couldn't keep the Swan Princess series away from Brie for forever. So we I, just, we had I to needed, get it I started. needed it. <laughs> you did, apparently. I didn't realize until I was discussing with Brie what episode to do next that uh, somehow Brie has managed to not see any of the Swan Princess sequels, which. Or if is... I have, I don't remember <laughs> them. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> Which is just mind-boggling to me, because the Swan Princess sequels have become a staple at my princess movie nights, because um, basically ever they, they, they've been a new release every year, practically. We, we are up to 10 Swan Princess movies, people. Amazing. 10. Amazing. They're, they're going up, they're going to battle the, the land before time for sequels. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny that that's that's what everybody comments on when they hear about how many sequels there are. That's like become the basis of comparison of (laughs) movie sequels that have long since treaded on the original story. Just yeah, Land Before Time has like 15, though. So Swan Princess does have some catching up to do. They you know what? I mean, they're getting close, though. With, uh, <laughs> but I, I guess to give, to give some notes about the Swan Princess series. Um, so as mentioned, this is the fifth installment in the Swan Princess series. Uh, this one was produced by Crest Animation Productions and Nest Family Entertainment, and it was released in 2014, partly as a means to commemorate the 20th anniversary of the original Swan Princess film, which was released in 1994. Um, And if anybody out there is somehow not familiar with the original Swamp Princess film, the Cliff's Notes version of it is that it's a traditionally animated movie based off of the Swan Lake Ballet. Um, And in the original film, Princess Odette is captured by the evil sorcerer Rothbart and forced to spend her days trapped in the form of a swan, only returning to human form at night, and she's eventually rescued by her true love, Prince Derek. Um, of course. Mm-hmm. I remember loving the the first movie as a kid. Like, it was one of those yeah. movies that I would just 
really liked. And I, I remember it being pretty good. It, you know, it was, um, it's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah, granted I it's ha- been, it's been a few years since I've actually seen it. Like it was a pretty decent movie and it's actually, it's entirely that movie's fault that we have the sequels, as you might expect, because <laughs> basically, um, in interviews that the producer or director have done, um, they have mentioned that the DVD sales of the original Swamp Princess movie were so good that it's actually what prompted uh, Sony Pictures to approach them and ask them to make more sequels. Oh, wow. <laughs> People yeah. really liked this movie from 1994. Can you guys keep doing it? Well, okay. Yeah, pretty much. Um <laughs> We'll just and have to make up everything because it's no longer based on anything. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty great. Um, it's it's funny because the original film, uh, it actually it spawned two traditionally animated sequels that were released in the late '90s. So, I mean, right away they kind of wanted to capitalize on the popularity of the first film, but. I don't know about you, but I didn't see those sequels. I don't um, think I saw them either. I don't I don't recall them at all. Whether I saw it, them or not is debatable, but I don't remember them. <laughs> yeah. So 2012 is when the first CGI sequel, A Swan Princess Christmas, was released. Um, and I, I can remember vividly walking through a Walmart one day and seeing oh. Swan Princess Christmas and thinking, what the fuck is this (laughs) just excuse me how did this happen what the fuck yeah it was amazing but we'll (laughs) don't we will definitely be circling back around to swan fruits christmas again once once it is seasonal um but yeah i kind of mentioned briefly um since then, there has basically been a new Swan Princess movie released roughly once per year, with the latest film, number 10, uh, being released in early August of 2020. Wait, really? Like, it just yeah. came out of a few weeks ago? Literally, it just came out. Oh my yeah. god. And do you want to know the saddest thing about what? about So... Uh, our friend Steve, who has been mentioned a few times in this podcast Hi, before. Steve. Hi, Steve. He, he does, has no interest in coming to one of my princess movie nights. And I know every time I'm in town and we have a princess movie night, he never shows up. Steve. Yeah. Steve. <laughs> Steve. But he, he, I, I've been trying to convince him unsuccessfully for so long just to come to one of my goddamn movie nights and see what it's like and it wasn't until um a few months back in his moment of weakness he finally agreed to watch the new swan princess with me so long (gasps) as i didn't watch it first Ooh, and and i I immediately agreed to it, which I don't think he was expecting. Like, you know what? Fine. I will wait to watch the new Swan Princess movie if it means I could force you to fucking watch it. Yes. Can't back out now, Steve. Yeah. Yeah. So it was all set. He even, he, as part of the agreement, we were even going to do it at his house. It was going to be fucking wonderful. 
And, of course, not to date this podcast, but uh, 2020 is the year that the world blew up. Yeah, and it's, it's, not, it's not movie time. Yeah, we are being encouraged to not have uh, random get-togethers with a bunch of people at your house. <sighs> and so I realized this. I realized that fucker somehow <laughs> managed to... Whatever forces exist in the fucking universe where it's like, oh, no... Oh, Steve just agreed to go see a movie night with Christy? Oh, we can't let this happen. I'll just put a fucking pandemic on the world. And so now... Now I'm, like, left with, like, well, shit, what do I do? Because I don't know when the next time I'm going to have a movie night is. And now there's this Swan Princess, this new Swan Princess movie just dangling like a carrot over in the corner. (laughs) But if I watch it for... Christy, you have to stay strong. Christy, you have to stay strong. This is not fair. I believe in you. We have so many other Swan Princess movies we can watch together while we wait to be able to hang out again. Maybe I can be in town. Oh my god, we'll all watch the most recent one. That would be beautiful. I'll try. I'll try and stay strong. I believe in you. Thank you. I believe in you. Steve, you better fucking hold to your end of the bargain. Steve. I sw- swear to God. <laughs> That's been our Steve segment of the podcast. Yeah. The reoccurring Steve segment. Steve, you better be listening to this podcast because we're giving you all of these shout outs. <laughs> oh, no. So oh. He doesn't actually. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, so Swan Princess 5. <laughs> yes. So... Swan Princess 5, just a few more notes on the the backstory of Swan Princess 5. Um, since its inception, the series has been directed by former Disney animator Richard Rich. Um, so literally every single movie in the franchise has been directed by him, which is kind of amazing. Huh. That's a, that's a lot of sequels yeah. to be in charge of. Swan Princess 5, a royal family tale, uh, was written by notable voice actor slash screenwriter Yuri Lowenthal, who also he wrote voices- it. Yes, he wrote it, and he also wow. voices Prince Derek. Yeah, I I recognized him as Prince Eric. I didn't realize he was the writer. That explains some things. All right, all right. <laughs> Brie, are you ready to jump into the the rapid fire plot summary of Swan I, Princess Five? I am ready. (laughs) All right. So let us begin with the summary of Swan Princess 5, A Royal Family Tale. Long before the age of kings and queens, an evil force The Forbidden Arts came to Earth from the Underworld via a magic crystal, which was the source of his power. One day, the Forbidden Arts came across a prophecy etched on a stone tablet, which read, In a coming day, there will be a swan princess. She will usher in an age of goodness, and in her presence, pure evil will not survive. Enraged, the Forbidden Arts used its magic to change the stone etching to instead read, In the coming day, 
An evil swan princess will usher in the age of despair <laughs> and lay waste to the earth and its creatures. Also mentioned in also mentioned in the prophecy is a glowing stone that must be protected at all costs, as it would give the evil the ability to withstand the presence of the Swan Princess and destroy her. The Forbidden Arts attempted to find the stone, but was unsuccessful. Ages pass, and the altered stone tablet is found by a group of scullions, a race of large, sentient flying squirrels. Fearing the prophecy, these scullions sequestered themselves away from the rest of society, trading themselves for the arrival of the evil swan princess. Look to the night and you might see her casting a shadow, a cloak of fear. Better beware and be on your marker. We must prepare for the day more time passed, and eventually Odette, the titular swan princess, was born. Her birth alone put so much goodness into the world that the Forbidden Arts had to hide himself away in his crystal, unable to leave his lair for extended periods of time. One day, an evil scullion named Mangler came across the Forbidden Arts' hidden lair, and the two made a secret agreement to destroy the swan princess. In the current day... Derek and Odette are living happily ever after. Their biggest problem being Derek's mother, Queen Huberta, is pressuring them to have a baby. After a failed attempt by the Scullions to kill Odette, the Forbidden Arts feels strong enough to try and attack her directly. Unfortunately for it, Odette's goodness is just too strong. The Forbidden Arts is repelled by Odette and crashes into a nearby house, causing it to explode into flames. Derek and Odette rush to help the occupants, a widowed father and his young daughter. While the daughter, named Elise, escapes unscathed, her father passes away in Derek's arms. Promise me you'll care for Elise. I promise. Daddy. Elise is taken to the castle, unable to speak due to her trauma. Odette and the rest of the castle inhabitants welcome her with open arms and try various ways to get Elise to open up to them without any success. Sensing an opportunity, these scullions kidnap Elise from the castle to lure Derek and Odette into the forest while they'll have the advantage. Derek and Odette chase after the fleeing scullions while a second wave descends onto the castle, capturing everyone inside. While chasing after Elise, Derek is struck by a poison blow dart. Luckily, a kind, renegade scullion, nicknamed Scully, arrives to help. I am your loyal servant. I'll just call you Scully, if you don't mind. He provides Derek with an antidote, and explains to the couple why the scullions are after Odette. As luck would have it, Scully is in possession of the glowing stone that the Forbidden Arts is after, though they don't recognize its full significance just yet. The group form a plan. Scully will prepare a sleeping potion for Derek to take. The Scullians, thinking Derek is dead, will take him back to their village, where they wrongly assume Elise is. Unbeknownst to them, Elise was instead taken to the hidden lair of the Forbidden Earths, where she's imprisoned in a magic cell. Derek's sleeping body is brought to the center of the Scullian village, with Odette and Scully following them unseen. 
Scully spies Mangler sneaking out of the village, and he follows him to the lair of the Forbidden Arts. Using a magic potion to disguise himself as Mangler, Scully enters the lair. He spots Elise, and also learns the purpose of the magic stone from the Forbidden Arts, who can sense the stone is now in Odette's possession. Scully leaves to tell Odette, and the Forbidden Arts also leaves to try and find the stone, which Odette has given to her friends Jean-Bob, Speed, and Puffin to keep safe. Back at the Scullian village, Derek's sleeping potion wears off early. He's captured by the Scullians and about to be executed, but luckily, Odette arrives just in time to plead her case to the Scullians. Please, if I was as evil and powerful as you've been led to believe, why haven't I attacked? My only power is that I love the girl, the child you took from me. Please, she's already lost so much. I only want to live to love her. Mangler appears and attempts to shoot Odette with another poison blow dart, but he accidentally hits a nearby Scullion instead. Odette uses some extra antidote to cure the Scullion. At the same time, Odette's shadow falls on the stone tablet, magically revealing the original prophecy. All of this convinces the rest of the Scullions of Odette's true nature, and they arrest Mangler and offer their services to Odette. Odette and Scully go to rescue Elise, while Derek and the Scullion army go to protect the Glowing Stone. Despite their best efforts, the Forbidden Arts takes the Glowing Stone and immediately goes to destroy Odette, who had reached Elise and was attempting to free her. The crystal. You spoke. Break the crystal. Yes. While Odette has the Forbidden Arts distracted, Scully smashes the crystal with a stone, killing himself and the Forbidden Arts in the process. The film ends with everybody back at the castle, announcing Elise's official adoption into Derek and Odette's family. The last image of the film shows that a statue of Scully has been erected at the castle, with Scully's ghost giving one last wink to the camera. So this, so this movie, so this movie has a lot of death and dying in it. Yeah. <laughs> and like on screen. It's, yeah, like, right off the bat, it's a little weird because a lot of movies aimed at kids tend to avoid talk of death and dying. Like they'll sometimes they'll dance around it by using like words like destroyed. Destroyed. Yeah. Or like defeated, sealed away. Yeah. In- <laughs> he was no, he was lost. Mm-hmm. No, they're just, they just, they're just throwing around the words like death and dying constantly. Yeah. And like there's on screen, there's two on screen deaths that happen in this, this children's film. Yeah. We see Elise's dad die in Derek's arms and we also see Scully uh, kill himself to sacrifice himself to destroy the dark arts crystal. Yeah. Um there's also weird stuff like the Scullians are are hell bent on killing Odette. At one point they shoot an effigy of her with a dozen uh blow darts. Yeah. Which is like, like 
Like, they're like, we're going to kill this evil lady. And you're like, oh, yeah. wow, y'all are little murder squirrels. All right. There, there's also a part where the forbidden art uh, is threatening to kill Derek in exchange for the glowing stone. And Derek tells the Scullions to let me die. Yeah, just let me die. I was like, excuse me? <laughs> Holy shit. What the fuck? <laughs> so bizarre. It, it's such a weird thing in this movie where the main villains are this renegade group of flying squirrels. Oh, like giant flying squirrels. What? It's, <laughs> it is, it's such... The tone in this movie is so weird. I don't really know what to make of it. And I, and I kind of point the finger at the Scullions particularly. Yeah. They... I think because they're not meant to be unlikable. Like, they, they only hate Odette because they were tricked into it by the stupid prophecy. But... By... By... Okay. Can we... Uh, sidebar. The prophecy that is literally just some some words carved on a random rock. Yeah. And it's like... Uh, it's just... just uh, some Anyone could have done this. But yeah. It's literally, a prophecy. The Forbidden Arts is just flying around the countryside one day, blowing shit up, and then he finds this stone tablet that's just sitting out in the open. Nobody's around. And, yeah, like, who made this prophecy? Do prophecies like, just manifest on stones? Like, is that what happens in this world? Yeah. Who, like, who were the ancient peoples that foretold the birth of Odette? And, like... She's only a swan princess because Rothbart turned her into a swan, but Rothbart only turned her into a swan because he got his powers from the dark arts. Oh, so see, really, yeah. it was a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh, see, and we'll we'll be going into that in a bit. <laughs> don't, don't you worry. There's oh, good. fucking oh, good. There's lore involved that oh. we're going to have to get to, but swan but for princess lore. <laughs> The hot lore of Swan, yeah. We, oh god. But with a bit, back to the prophecy, just, again, what is with this prophecy? And and whoever made it, had they not written down the prophecy, the Forbidden Arts might never have gone after Odette in the first place. Yeah, no one would have known. No. No one would have known. The, the, the whole, the, the stone, yeah, the this prophecy stone? is just, yeah, yeah. Because there's also it's not just there's a prophecy. There's also this glowing stone that somehow gives evil the ability to withstand Odette's effervescent goodness. She just apparently has like a protective aura of goodness. Yeah, she's just so good that you can't evil, evil can't even come near her because she is yeah. so good. It's it's like he's magnetically repelled away from her. Um, but the stone itself, from a story standpoint, is just so incredibly unnecessary. Um, it, you could have just easily had it so that the Forbidden Arts is just stronger the closer he is to his little crystal ball thingy. Um, and yeah. that when Odette is in his lair, that's when he's powerful enough to resist her goodness. And then you could you, like, you could cut out the busy work with the stone entirely and just give more 
more time to the rest of the plot, which maybe show Elise and Odette's relationship a bit more, or... Well, no, they established that in one song. Yeah, that's all it takes. <laughs> Don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah, and it's... It's, yeah, the, the prophecy doesn't make sense. The magic stone doesn't make sense. Why the hell do the Scullians believe the prophecy? I, d- I don't... I don't know. Well, because, like, how old is... Also, the bad guy Scullion is named Mangler. Yeah. Who... What? Which, yeah. That's who I trust. The oh, yeah. evil-looking little little rat guy named Mangler. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's... He doesn't even... He's not even... Because the rest of the flying squirrels have, like, these big fluffy tails, and they're, like, shades of brown and, and cream. Yeah. And he's, like, this cute. scruffy, gray, hunched one with a long, skinny tail, and his name is Mangler. <laughs> and you're like, hmm. Yeah, we should listen to him. Yeah. It's such a... I, I kind of love when they do this shit in in character design because it's like who's the bad guy oh, oh. maybe it's this little like weird like the one the one flying squirrel that looks like this like rat little thing all the other ones are like cute and not to say anything bad about rats rats can be adorable but also this one just looks like a nasty sewer rat yeah no it, he looks like <laughs> he's like a rat that's been through some shit not like a night like a, a cute little lovey rat he looks like yeah. a rat that is like somehow started to hate the world and and you can see it on his face. This is the rat that has crawled out of your toilet bowl and you're like how did this happen? Yeah, he's and he specifically <laughs> he specifically crawled out of your toilet bowl because he knew you were having a good day and he could not stand for that. So, but no, we should all trust him and train to kill the the swan, the evil swan princess. Yeah. For, they, for like, they're like, we've been training all this time. And I'm like, but it's only been long enough that Mangler has been both alive and around unless he's an immortal evil I, squirrel. I see. And I think what it is, is that I believe the scullions have been around for a while training for the day that the swan princess arrived and it's only by happenstance that mangler happened on the cave where the forbidden arts was hidden away oh okay yeah they've been following the prophecy on the random rock that they found yeah yeah and Mm. i think it's just it's just like a recent thing that mangler has kind of come into power and sort of directed them specifically towards odette because it's it's a weird thing, but like the Mangler's motivation is that the Forbidden Arts has promised him Odette's kingdom, yeah, which she's like, destroyed. I, I I don't think he gets. I guess if he if they destroy Odette, then he would have absolute power, and thereby none of the other humans around would matter. Yeah, like you don't think. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, some something like that. God, why would a squirrel want a kingdom, anyways? I, I don't know. I guess the heart wants what the heart wants. I guess. I, I do. I, I do kind of love the squirrels, though. I mean, they're tonally weird. Yeah. Oh yeah. And at first, I was like, "What the hell is up with these weird squirrels?" 
but as the movie has gone on, there's like two squirrel brothers that are characters in there, mm-hmm. and there's like the the friendly scullion scully that they find yeah. later, and he's just sort of like a. I'm like I, you know what? This is a good little character. I I like him. Mm-hmm. I think, and I think what happens for a lot of it, and I know I'm jumping around here, but like I think the dialogue for a lot of the characters is really strongly written. And that's why when you said Yuri Lowenthal was a writer on it, I was like, that makes sense because a lot of the dialogue feels really good. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just like, there was, there was literally points where I laughed out loud at a joke because it was like, (laughs) it was just well-written. I'm like, all right. Mm. Okay. Yeah. It's the Swan Prentice sequels are, a weird mix of like there are some good little moments in it but they're kind of just like it's it's like it's like when you're having soup and the soup itself is kind of bad but like every so often you get a spoonful and you get that nice chunk of chicken and it's just like all right yeah because like overall the the writing of like the plot and stuff is like it's fine but like there's chunks of it that are just like yeah all right that was funny that was i like these two little characters i like there's one squirrel who just has an eye patch and doesn't give a fuck and i love him so much he hasn't he has an eye patch and he doesn't need it so it's just like a little kind of character quirk of his that he'll flip it up every so often and and his eye is fine it's just i don't know maybe he just thinks he looks cooler with with it on and he's just like he's just so deadpan about everything. Mm-hmm. He's well, fantastic. I'm like I love this eye patch squirrel. And that's <laughs> and that's the thing that really contributes, as you said, to the weird tone of the movie because the scullions are impossible to take seriously as the villains. Yeah, they're not. They're not meant to be unlikable. We're supposed to like them, and and again, they only hate Odette because they're tricked into it. It's not that they actually are evil, but at the same time, they want to kill Derek and Odette. Which yeah, they're, is they're literally little murderers. Yeah, it's they have these very high stakes. Uh, repercussions to their actions should they succeed but at the same time you also cut to them doing goofy stuff and being all cute and 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 jojo and cutter the two uh scullion brothers they talk they have this running gag about swagger yeah Um, so it's just this weird mix of them doing very serious things in a very light-hearted manner Mm -hmm. It, it is extremely tonally weird yeah and it and again, they don't know that they're in leagues with the Forbidden Arts. They, as far as they know, they're doing the world a good thing by going after Odette. And once they find out that Mangler is in league with the Forbidden Arts, they immediately, they arrest him. Um, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of a weird thing thinking about it, I guess. Well, I mean, as, as we see in the film, they do have like, um, they do have some sort of uh, judicial system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess they kind of do. Um, There's like squirrel a squirrel court. Yeah. Which is a good segue to talk about uh, Queen Uberta's subplot. Um, oh, my God. So Queen Uberta, um, 
Once the Scullions take over the castle, they put Uberta and the rest of the residents on trial for aiding the evil swan princess. Um, Rogers, who is like kind of Derek's assistant, um, acts Tutor. as Uber- yeah, Tudor acts as uh, Uberta's defense, trying unsuccessfully to argue that Odette isn't evil. Um, it doesn't work though. And eventually, Uberta is found guilty and sentenced to be flung out of a catapult. Um, <laughs> which seems like a really weird, like, I don't know. I guess these these scullions are just like, they are aware that humans cannot fly, but we can fly. So you know what would be really funny is by f- flinging them. Well, he can, he's like, make sure you stand up straight because then you get some real good distance and uh try and make this you know yeah make it make you go as far as possible and she's like well then i'll flail around like a trout and he's like you're just a you're a spoil sports what you are (laughs) all right maybe they just like seeing things fly when they can't yeah it's just such a weird a weird specific thing it's almost like they're mocking humans for not being able to fly (laughs) but just before Uberta is set to be flung, Rogers confesses his love to her, and they have this this romantic little moment where, well, I say romantic, but really it's Uberta um, basically browbeating Rogers into dying with her. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, how romantic. We'll be flung together. And he's like, um, actually, that's not what I, and then she's like, don't you have any sense of romance? Uberta. Rogers. I order you to have a sense of romance. Oh, <laughs> your love is cruel. One. We've been lighted. <laughs> oh, but they are, of, they are, of course, saved just in the nick of time. Derek and Odette prove themselves and the rest of the Scullions arrive to say, hey, actually, we were tricked. Yeah. Um, they I mean, end up they-, they they weren't in time well they sort of were but they do get flung anyway which is very yeah it's pretty they funny. get they get flung because Derek's terrible shitty friend named Bromley um accidentally triggers the catapult and is that Rogers- who that is cuz yes. i i didn't remember him from the first film and in general i was just like who is this random dude who is this other yeah, child I- hanging out he like, is <laughs> the other child. I I thought he was another kid. No, he's a grown man. He's Derek's oh, no. age. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he's playing hide and seek earlier in the film, and that's the first time you see him in the film. So I thought yeah. he was like, because they're playing hide and seek with Elise around the castle, and he's like, mm-hmm. come hide over here. And I thought he was just another child. <laughs> no. I'm like, who is this kid? Bromley is Derek's, like, weird friend that only exists to, like, he's a braggart, but he's also very cowardly when he's actually pressed into it. So he, he actually, he has, like, a pretty important role in the first film, but the sequels don't really seem to know what to do with him other than moments of comedic relief. Um, this is actually his last, so at least to date, um, uh, this is the last time you see Bromley in the sequels. He's kind of just like really, yeah. Um, at He's least like, so far, you know, as... I got I got kidnapped by squirrels. I think I'm gonna go. 
Yeah, like, you know what? I need new friends. Like, obviously, hanging around with Derek is not doing anything for me. I completely forgot him from the first film, so... Yeah. Bye, Bromley, I guess. You, you had a good run, maybe. Maybe maybe he's in maybe he's in the 10th movie, and I have no oh, idea. Shit. Maybe he's the hero. Steve. Maybe he, he, <laughs> <laughs> what have you done to me, Steve? <laughs> but... <laughs> But so Rogers and Uberta get flung and they end up needing to be saved midair by the Scullions. Um, and all of that to just say, I, when I first fucking saw this bit and that moment where Rogers confesses his love to Uberta, I was so on board. Holy shit. You have no idea. I don't know why, but f- as a kid, when I watched the original Swan Princess, I thought they would make the perfect couple. Like, they just, they're both, like, Uberta's just this fun and, like, kind of loopy character, but she's also very regal. And and then Rogers, he is very deadpan, and he also has his moments of being excitable. And I just always thought they would be really cute together. And so that <laughs> moment happened. Christy shipping them together. Yeah, and like as an adult, little baby adult Christy, when she when she saw this movie, I was I was legitimately I was like willing to forgive every other fucking thing in this movie because finally Rogers and Huberta were going to get together. Oh my god! But, but then your ship but, was sailing. Yeah, but then at the end of the movie, so after all is said and done, um. The very end of the movie, Rogers and Uberta get into a small spat, and she angrily calls off the wedding. And as spoilers for movies like six through ten, Rogers and Uberta have not gotten back together. <gasps> no, you! How dare you, Richard Rich? How dare you play with my heart your, like this? Your ship, your childhood ship. How? Dare you? How dare the tenth movie be called a royal wedding and not have Uberta and Rogers getting married? How dare you? <laughs> well, you I'm haven't gonna... seen it yet. Maybe there's two royal weddings. Oh fuck! I who knows? Maybe who knows what two. I'm being? Who knows what I'm being deprived of? Because I can't watch Swan Princess Ted, Steve. 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 <laughs> God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about your ships, Christy. Thank you. Thank you for at least acknowledging my pain. It's it's a tragedy, and I hope... (laughs) I hope your ship will sail again. Yeah. I hope so. One day. (laughs) I can only hope, really. Oh, God. Kind of on the note of things that I liked in this movie, um, I... We didn't get to see much of it, unfortunately, but I did really like the moment of Elise and Odette bonding over losing their fathers. Um, oh, yeah. Because I forgot that happened in the first movie. Yeah. Well, it is. It's kind of treated oddly in the first movie. And I think it's just because it's just not meant to be the focus of the plot. But basically, um, Odette's dad is mortally wounded during her kidnapping. And he ends up dying in Derek's arms. Um and then the next time we see Odette in the first film, it's implied that it's been some time since she was kidnapped. I forget how long exactly, but basically it's long enough that 
if she did have some, whatever grieving process she had is not shown on screen. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it really was only until this film that we actually got to see Odette acknowledge that her dad died. Yeah. Um, and and she's able to use that to um sympathize with Elise and they they very they they jump into this is our daughter very quickly in the movie. It's implied that it's been several months of caring for her, but like in the movie it's the span of a song and now they now now she's their daughter. Yeah, and it's it's, I guess it, it is nice to have the moment of, of that shared sympathy because it does help you understand how Odette ended up with as strong a bond as she did with Elise right away. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because even before they are able to confirm that Elise has no living relatives, they are, everybody is like really really on board with adopting her like rogers and uberta in particular are already like prepping the castle for elise to stay long term again before they find out whether or not she is an orphan yeah Um, which is sort of a strange scene because they're like we searched for elise's family she has no family hooray we can adopt her it's like Yay, she has no family. Yay. <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of a weird mixed it's bag. A little eh? weird, but their hearts in the they're glad to adopt her, and it's yeah. Good. It honestly it is kind of cute because Uberta in particular, like we saw at the beginning of the film, she she fakes being yeah. She, she's like, I'm on my deathbed. I'm dying. You need to mm-hmm. give me a, a grandchild. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, I, Ma'am? Yeah. <laughs> That's going to take at least nine months. Yeah. You, you know what? Your plan here, I'm not sure what it was. There is like a great little moment with Derek and Odette, though, because, you know, uh, Uberta reveals that she just wants a grandbaby, and Derek tells this to Odette. And Odette's like, I'm on board with this. Like, I would love to give your mom a grandbaby. And Derek just goes, mm. <laughs> You know? <laughs> and it's just like. <laughs> I'm sorry about- Don't be. I love your mother. Besides, I want her to have grandchildren, too. <laughs> yes! <laughs> we can hear you. Like, That's I, what, I, I like the note. I'm like, this woman is pretending to die to get her son to bone. <laughs> like, yeah! And, and you know what? It almost worked, too, because- <laughs> Derek and Odette, if if it weren't for the Forbidden Arts um, fucking shit up and, and killing Elise's dad, it, like, it was implied that they were gonna, Derek and Odette were already planning to go on a picnic and, like, Derek yeah. made that kind of comment, so they were probably gonna bang that night. <laughs> Which is such a weird thing to think. It's- so st- it's it's very it was such a weird opening to the film because they're like rushing to to Roberta's side and she's like oh I'm dying it's like I need a baby to hold yeah, yeah well she's <laughs> like, like um, oh I'm so I'm so cold if only I had something 
small to hold in my hands to warm them. Something that was about eight pounds or so. And, <laughs> and they kind of cotton on. And yeah. Well, it's just like, it's like this, Derek is like terrified and running to his mother's side because he thinks she's ill and dying and then yeah. he's like no just just kidding son i'm just i just wanted to let you know that you should really get down uh, and uh get down to business and uh get get to bonin so i can have yeah. some grandchildren <laughs> yeah man well, then, you could have <laughs> just said that to him normally yeah well it, and it's especially ridiculous too because Derek and Odette have their own kingdom. They now they aren't consistent with that in later films, but oh, cool. at least oh yeah, I know. This that's all part of the Swab Princess lore. But um Derek Derek and Odette have their own separate kingdom. Um and so like they are racing to Hubert's castle. And who knows, like like their kingdoms are fairly close by, but Derek spent that entire fucking carriage ride pr- thinking his mom was dying. Yeah. But Odette was sort of, I. she already kind of was like, she knew. Like, yeah. she was just like, I'm sure it'll be okay. And then they get to the castle and she's like, no, you you go ahead. You run to her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She. Well, I think she was like, you know what? Like, you got to learn this lesson for yourself. Yeah. Like, I... I you're, she's your mom, but I, yeah. I've met this woman. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I have she a feeling just... she's not really dying. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I wonder, Uberta maybe like took Odette aside a couple times and was just like, hey, when am I going to get a grandbaby? When are you going to get on it, woman? And maybe, <laughs> maybe that's why Odette, Odette like knew she, what was coming. She knew. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> God, but yes, it. Derek and Odette have their own kingdom, which is weirdly Rothbart, the castle that Rothbart used to live in, that he kept Odette a prisoner at. Oh, and in the second movie, you see that they've moved in to his castle for some reason. Oh, yeah, it. Well, it's very I guess confusing. It's free castle. It's Why yeah. Not? It. It's very confusing because Odette had her own kingdom. That presumably, I guess maybe they merged with e- either merged with Uberta's kingdom or like they're ruling Odette's kingdom from uh, Rothbard's castle. Yeah, because yeah, doesn't... she had her whole. She was a. She was also already a princess, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the the whole the opening to the original Swan Princess film is that you see Derek. And Odette, so Uberta and uh, Odette's dad um, arranged for the two to meet each other every summer because they were hoping that they would get married so that their kingdoms right. could unite. Um, so they have separate kingdoms, but that starting from the next film, you don't really see that anymore. And Derek and Odette just seem to live at um, Uberta's castle. Huh. Yeah. So they've just got probably like two spare castles that they're just holding on to at this point <laughs> yeah they just got Rothbard's, collected them. they got odettes they just have extra castles yeah yeah exactly uh and i mean them living at uberta's castle of course means that they never have to uh they could just reuse the the, the assets of uberta's I mean, castle yeah that works yeah you don't have to build another castle 
Mm-hmm. But while we are on the subject of Swan Princess lore... Yes, um, lore gotta, corner. Yes. So, the Swan Princess series, as you might expect from a 10-series film, they've gotten very heavy with referencing their earlier films. And I thought that this began with the CGI sequels, but as it turns out... The CGI sequels are also kind of referencing those early, traditionally animated sequels. Um, <laughs> uh huh. So I was I was looking into I was looking into them because the whole thing with the Forbidden Arts in this film, he's this giant plume of sentient evil smoke that has these vaguely defined powers, and he just kind of floats around. And I was gonna say he's just up. sort of like he's just a a a, a cloud, a long cloud. Yeah. A, a big cloud that when he has a temper tantrum, he just like, like shakes around in the sky and it's kind of great. But I was curious because the Forbidden Arts have been mentioned in the earlier films. And I was curious, like, is this based off something from the earlier sequels that I'm just not remembering? So I ended up in preparation for this episode. I watched <laughs> Swan Princess 2 and 3. Yes, good. All right. Yeah, so here's the here's the lore of those two movies and as they relate to the Forbidden Arts specifically. So the in the first sequel, uh, Swan Princess 2, Escape from Castle Mountain, the villain of that film was trying to find the orb containing the Forbidden Arts, which was destroyed at the climax of that film. The orb was just contained in Rothbart's basement of, oh. like, a, a secret compartment of Rothbart's castle, which is, like, the weird, like, I guess that's the weird justification for them having Derek and Odette move into the castle because they wanted them to be there when this villain was trying to break in and find Rothbart's secret compartment. Okay. Sure. So, yeah, but so, again, the orb containing the Forbidden Arts was destroyed at the climax of that film. Um, hmm. Then, in Swan Princess 3, The Mystery of the Enchanted Treasure, um, which, there was no fucking enchanted treasure. I don't know who came up with that goddamn subtitle. <laughs> at least in Escape from Castle Mountain, there was a mountain lair that you could describe as maybe somewhat a castle, but no, fuck that. <laughs> enchanted treasure? No. But no enchanted treasure here. No, there was there was a, arguably a treasure, but it was not enchanted. I, yeah, no, but it was. Um, <laughs> so Swan Princess Three had the villain of that film attempting to find Rothbart's notes on the Forbidden Arts, and she mentions that Rothbart himself developed the Forbidden Arts, and she is after his notes because she wants to use them to recreate the Forbidden Arts for herself. Oh. So, in 2 and 3, the Forbidden Arts is just a thing that is a source of power that Rothbart himself created somehow that gave huh. him more power. Um, and in Swan Princess 5, they kind of try and retcon it by, of course, now the Forbidden Arts is this... Sentient age cloud. <laughs> yeah, this sentient cloud that is apparently ages old who <laughs> sought Rothbart out and promised him power if he destroyed Odette for him. Um, 
So the prologue acts as though Rothbart was foiled enacting the Forbidden Arts' plans. However, in the original <laughs> Swan Princess film, Rothbart uh-huh. explicitly tells Odette that he wants to gain power the old-fashioned way, that he wants to force Odette into marriage so that he becomes the legitimate ruler of her kingdom because he he thinks that by doing it this way that his power won't be questioned by the the peasantry. So oh, okay. And that's and that's where the whole like turning you into a swan thing comes from because he wanted to keep her alive so that he could wear her down uh so that she would agree to the marriage. So the the whole thing about the forbidden arts promised Rothbard power if he destroyed Odette for for it it's like no 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 like that doesn't fit that Excuse literally me. doesn't happen <laughs> that does not fit with your earlier established ca- canon Swan Princess Richard Rich Excuse me Excuse me Richard Rich Richard Rich Excuse we me We found it We found a plot hole Mr Rich Excuse <laughs> me Sir 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 Where are you going <laughs> Sir, come back, please. We just have a few pointed quest. We just have a few points about. We have some questions. Sir, I'm pretty sure I'm the only person that's ever seen all of your fucking films. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh God. But yeah, so it's. I mean, going forward, I will say, going from even Swan Princess Four. You need to watch these goddamn sequels in order because there are characters that are going to start appearing that showed up in earlier films and when they reappear, they do not re-explain them. Do they, does the ghost of Scully come back? I, you know, who's to say? <gasps> who's who's do, to do say? Do the Scullians come back? Who's to say? Oh my god. You're just going to have to tune in and, 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 and find <laughs> out, Brie. <laughs> so this is now the Swan Princess movie podcast. Yeah, you um, know, like seriously, I, I, I should note after seeing Swan Princess two and three, part of the reason why we jumped ahead to Swan Princess five, um, is just that the CGI sequels are definitely more noteworthy in how bad they get. Um, okay, and I, I actually. Um, because I remember I had rewatched two and three back when I first started doing this one, the uh, Bad Princess movie stuff, and I remember at the time thinking that they weren't really that notable. Um, okay, but I will admit, after rewatching them in preparation for this episode, there are actually some dumb, funny moments in those <laughs> earlier films, and so now I'm like, oh god, what have I done? Because oh. at some at some point we'll have to maybe circle back to maybe well, the first yeah. three movies. We gotta we gotta really like they're gonna be out of order, but we're we're going to need to cover the entire Swan Princess lineup mm-hmm. lineup ooh, the the whole canon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we will at one point. Obviously, we're gonna do the Christmas movie, but from this point on. We are going to be doing the rest of the Swan Princess sequels in order, and then at some point we will circle back to the first three, and then, and again, part of the reason why we have to, we are forced to take a look at things in order from here on out, (laughs) 
is is that the lore will build upon itself and the then lore. The, the expanded swan princess universe the deep swan princess lore yeah yeah like for instance there is a character in in the christmas movie that we like we have to watch the christmas movie before we get to swan princess 7 because there's a character in in, in 4 that appears again in 7 that what? yeah and there's other characters too and it's just like oh. i think part of it is that they're just like we have these assets let's just reuse them i mean why not if you've got that character built rigged and ready just why not use it again yeah might as well. Also, Ugh. um, I have a question for you. Yeah. Was the one really strange maid in the first film, or was she from oh. one of the sequels that... Bridget. Bridget, yes. Yeah. Was she... Okay. she I don't recall her from the first movie. Okay. Was and she in, a... in one of the sequels? Because so she was just sort of <laughs> out of nowhere, and I'm like, well, do I just completely forget this character from... Like I did Bromley? <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, so here's the thing, and again, again, I'll have to apologize for putting everything in, in a weird fucking order, but <laughs> Bridget is actually Rothbart's henchwoman from the first film. Oh! She, she kind of had a different design to her, which is probably why you didn't recognize her. In, okay. in addition, she also didn't talk in the first film. But ah. starting with um, the, the second Swan Princess movie, she's just kind of, I guess she's just renounced her henchwoman ways and just kind of has started hanging out with uh, Ubert, at Uberta's castle as her maid. I mean, why not? I guess she seems like, I, I don't know what that character is going for. Um, yeah, I'm not... But- she sure. seems like she's just a nice person. That's... Yeah, like she's she's kind of kooky and weird, and she kind of yeah, she's just like the kooky comic relief kind of yeah. thing. She talks in like weird disjointed sentences, which I think is them going, "Oh, well, she didn't talk at all in the first film, so it would be weird if she started talking fluently in the sequels." But we I also guess. don't we also don't want her to be a mute character, so we'll just like make her talk in like weird kooky speak. So Odette say to me, she say, Bridget. That would she call me because my name Bridget. Not right, she call me Larry. Larry, not my name. Oh, a few more minutes of this and I'll fling myself. Yeah, it's like it's like they're giving her some kind of of accent but don't know what they're going for yeah i'm not sure i'm not sure what the aim was for that character but she's yeah I mean, she's there i was just really confused i'm like i don't recall her from the first film which i guess that explains it yeah and it's and it, yeah i don't know they just decided to repurpose her well i okay i guess again for the swan princess lore they I think they kind of brought her into the sequel again because that villain was after Rothbart's uh, secret, the the Forbidden Arts, which was hidden away in Rothbart's secret chamber. And so in the movie, um, Bridget helps Odette's uh, animal friends find the Forbidden Arts. And so it was like, okay, well, we can use Bridget, who knows where it's hidden away, um, to find it, but we have to turn Bridget into a good guy. 
Right. So it's just like, I can't, I don't know. It, it is weird. Oh, well, I mean, I was just, I was just mostly curious about at what point she entered the film. So I guess that makes, she's been there all along <laughs> and then she just yeah. switched sides and now she's a good guy. I kind of miss, I kind of miss her old design, honestly. Like she kind of had like an old witchy look to her. Oh. Um. Yeah, and it was kind of, I just, I, I don't know why, but I liked her as, like, kind of the weird witchy look, instead of, like, the, she wears, like, a pink ball gown and her head, and her hair is up in two buns. Yeah, she's got, like, the Princess Leia buns going on. Yeah. It's like, come on, bring back my, my kooky witch lady. Oh, I'm looking at her from the old movie, and now I recognize her. Okay, mm-hmm. I gotcha, I gotcha. I mean, it probably doesn't help that you're, this is your first time seeing the characters in CGI and the ones that have been translated from traditionally animated to CGI. That's true. You, you do benefit a bit in that this is the second CGI movie. So they kind of like, they got a bit better at animated them, even just between the, uh, the fourth and the fifth movie. And they, I think they do make some refinements to the CGI models. Well, because I was going to say, as I was watching this, like, the animation isn't terrible. Like, it's, I think, um, a lot of the sort of, sort of visual weirdness, I think it's just, like, from, from the rendering, and that's not against the renderers. Renderers do good jobs. But, like, I think it's just sort of like a like lighting rendering kind of thing because a lot of the mm-hmm. anim isn't bad like it's actually fairly good yeah there there are some moments again in and we'll talk more about it when we get to the christmas one but there are some definite moments in that one that characters felt kind of floaty or the animation was just mm-hmm. weird but by swan princess 5 they are kind of figuring it out and and i think figuring out what they can do with these characters to make them feel more natural in the environment. Yeah. But even, yeah, even just while I was watching it, I'm like, there's some good little character animation. There's there's some things that are like, there's definitely some floatiness. There's some awkward poses. There's some weirdness in the faces because there mm-hmm. always is, especially when you're trying to make a character look pretty. Um, yeah. Yeah, Odette tends to suffer the most because, again, yeah. like you said, they're trying to make her look pretty, and so she kind of sometimes looks almost expression expressionless. Yeah, because like that's always what happens with you if you have the pretty girl character, you can't have her make faces. Mm-hmm. That would just yeah. be silly. Um, I think the squirrels in general are really like they're really good and cute and well well animated for like the most part. They're pretty great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's there's an interesting bit that happens in this movie. Um there are flashbacks to the first film, but they reanimate them in CGI. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They sure do try to do those water effects with Liquid oh, Sim. Yeah. Um the the liquid the liquid in this film not yeah. good. Bad bad water. Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, you do what you can. I can't do any water any better, so mm-hmm. you're doing you're doing what you can. It it I think for me it's particularly interesting to see those flashbacks because 
they are fairly close to being shot for shot uh, remakes of scenes from the first movie. So it is, yeah, it is very interesting to see just the difference in in just the how much the aesthetics uh, kind of affected those scenes. Yeah. Well, because I remember, because they do her transformation sequence into a swan when she's standing on the water and the water sort of swirls around her. And I remember that being really beautiful in the 2D initial movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in this one, they have a a blobby liquid sim and it's not quite where it needs to be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it feels off and it doesn't quite convey the same effect that they were going for. Mm -hmm. It's, it's almost hampered by the fact that it's more realistic water. Not, maybe not so much in the animation, but the fact that it's, it has the clarity of real water versus in the original film where it was obviously animated water, which wasn't see-through. Yeah. So it was kind of able to create the, the veil, like the, the effect of this veil of water covering her, and then it disappears, and she's a woman again. Yeah. Whereas in this one, they just sort of slurp th- some some <laughs> orbs, and it's, they get, it's watery. They get Alex Mack to do a cameo, and then <gasps> What? She, Alex Mack is back! It all comes back to Alex Mack. <laughs> That should be, oh my god, we just found out the name of our podcast. Yes, the next podcast, it all comes back to Alex Mack. Oh my god. Fuck, is this like the third episode in a TM, row we've TM, talked TM, about? TM, don't steal. D- D- yeah, do not steal. We'll get to it one day. Once we get through all of the fucking Swamp Princess movies, that'll be... <laughs> That's next on the list. Yeah, add it to the list of, of podcast ideas. Oh my god. <sighs> Uh, but like, but yeah, it's it's solidly not a bad looking movie. <laughs> it's the animation is for the most part really really cute and charming. The character designs are largely real. Like I feel like uh, Uberta and um, Rogers Rogers translated really well into three D because they were more caricaturized. Yeah. So like whenever they're animated, I'm like these these characters look really good and cute because they they have very exaggerated features. They weren't meant to look very pretty or handsome like Odette and Derek. They they were allowed to be more more characterized. Mm-hmm. So when they're making like silly expressions or things like that, I'm like, "Yes, this works on that face." Yeah, and I think too their animation is more bolder as a result. Like they they feel more free, giving them more exaggerated poses, and yeah, they're always kind of restraining themselves when it comes to Derek and Odette. Yeah, because yeah, so it's really it's one of those things where I it's like it's like the Dark Crystal thing mm-hmm. that I have with the Dark Crystal, where the two lead puppets have to look pretty so they don't emote but the rest of the puppets are going buck wild yeah yeah exactly that's always what i think of (laughs) (laughs) i haven't seen the dark crystal in ages but that's always the thing that i remember about that movie is that i wish the gelflings emoted but that's for another day yeah that's that's for the eventual uh the other podcast the jim henson one the Jim Henson one, which I would slowly just morph into me talking about Labyrinth, as that is my other obsession. Oh, right. Yes. The Labyrinth podcast, where it's just Labyrinth every week. 
Yeah, literally the Labyrinth podcast where I thought I would just be me talking about Labyrinth for forever. Just any time I wanted something new to talk about Labyrinth. And surprisingly, none of my friends have wanted to get in on that. I don't know well, why. Well, see, you just need to do the thing where you, you have, it's you and a different co-host talking about Labyrinth every single week. I don't have that many friends. <laughs> I'm sure we can wrangle up other Labyrinth fans from across the internet oh for you. Just put out a put out a live call. Yeah. God. Attention, all fans of Labyrinth. <sighs> I'm trying. I'm looking through my notes again. In all caps, I do have damn actual on-screen blood and deaths. One princess doesn't mess around. <laughs> yeah. Like, like at one point, Scully the squirrel gets like wounded and it shows him like hold his wound and look at his hand and there's blood on there i'm like oh wow okay well it, and even like with his his climactic death scene too because yeah. so he he has these little glasses that he wears and and it's set up earlier in the film that they get knocked off and you see that he has double vision when he doesn't wear them and um so his dramatic when he he destroys the the forbidden arts he basically grabs a big rock and he dives with it to smash the, the Forbidden Arts with the Rock, and you see it from his point of view where his double vision, as he gets closer to the Forbidden Arts, it focuses and... and Yeah, like, as see... he's falling, his vision clears, and then he smashes the crystal and dies. Yeah. And just straight up is dead. You're like, holy shit. I, I almost wonder if they added him in as a ghost at the end of the movie because somebody on the production company was like, this is kind of fucking sad. Can we? Yeah, this, is, this is really tragic. Um, this is a kid's movie. Yeah. Can we Can we make sure that uh, like we cheer the kids up a little bit at least? It's, it's, it's like, so imagine- wild. Imagine that scene without Scully's ghost and the, the last shot of the film is just his his Memorial. statue. Yeah. Yeah. His... yeah. It's just like, that's rough. <laughs> I kind of wish we saw that now. <laughs> There's some lines in this one too. Especially, okay, at the end when they're like all trying to, like the squirrels are on board. And they're trying to keep this glowing stone away from the the dark arts as he's like, he's a ball of of angry smoke flying around and all the squirrels are like tossing it to each other through the trees. Mm -hmm. There's like this orchestral triumphant version of their song from earlier because they have a song earlier in the film. There's like three songs back to back at one point. And then there's like this triumphant, like, like uh, orchestral music as they're all working together to toss the stone between each other to keep it away from the dark arts Mm -hmm. and i'm like dang (laughs) this is intense yeah and it's kind of it's actually like a good moment because it's finally like okay now i see why they picked flying squirrels because this moment where they're all doing their jumpy craziness through the trees like it's actually like this is a good use if you're gonna make a character be a a sentient flying squirrel i want to see some squirrel acrobatics and and yeah. it finally the movie delivered on that yeah so because the, they're all like jumping through the trees and flying around and i'm like this is this is fun this is a cool little scene followed immediately by um 
when the dark arts threatens to like kill Derek. Yeah, and it's really it the like the animation of it hurting air quotes characters is really funny because it's really just like pressing the angry red ball of smoke against their like neck and they're like yeah ah, ah, but it doesn't look like it's doing anything it's just like yeah it just feels like he's trying to put out a cigarette butt on Derek's neck yeah which is like there's no there's no full body effects of what's happening. It's just like it's just like it's like pressing nuzzling into his neck and he's like, yeah. Oh, this hurts. Yeah. Like it's just yeah, I don't know. He's like, it's let me to... die. <laughs> yeah, let me die, and then it cuts to this one of the scullions and they look really concerned, and it's just this little adorable squirrel that just looks sad. It's so sad. God. Also, when, because the thing, the Dark Arts gets the stone at the end of all of this, of course. And it's like lighting everything on fire. And it's like, let the age of despair begin and let it begin here. And I'm like, chill out, movie. Jeez. It's intense and also pretty good. It, But again, it's just so weird to see that. And then you cut to the flying squirrel army. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> they're all, all these little flying squirrels <laughs> that are all, like, sad and scared. Yeah. But goofy little squirrels. Like, these, right. these little things thought they would be the saviors of mankind. Oh, they did their best. They did. Scully saved us all. Yeah, Scully was the MVP of this movie. I, uh, I'm glad you mentioned the songs earlier because you reminded me that I wanted to talk about them. Um, oh, yes. Because as, as you might expect, this film is a musical, of but course. these songs are so weirdly placed in, in like the framework of the movie. They, as they're, you said, there's three of them and they're back to back and that's it. Yeah. They, and it's just, it's, it, it's so weird because you're watching it and it literally, it's back to back. And the last song takes place 30 minutes into the one hour and 20 minute movie. So you have two thirds of the movie with no songs whatsoever. Yeah. They're just, they're crammed in there and it just, it almost kind of feels like, I, like, I almost wondered, like, did they not plan to have songs at the beginning? Like, why are they so weirdly shoved into just around like the 25 to 30 minute mark of the movie it's it's super bizarre i also can't even remember the third one i remember the first one is they're all pressuring this traumatized little orphan to to talk to them (laughs) which i was like i know the spirit of this this song is meant to be like they're spending a long time and they're talking and it's non-diegetic and they're just like trying to encourage this child but in the context of just like showing the whole song it's mm-hmm. just like here traumatized child talk to us talk to us yeah though. yeah like they're talk trying to, to just engineer ways to get her to talk i don't know how to plan the day until i hear what you have to say can you give me a clue which one sounds fun to you oh oh tell me what you're thinking oh yeah oh. Which, I mean, I know it's meant to be, like, over the months that they've been hanging out, they've just been, like, taking care of her and encouraging her. And I'm like, that makes sense. But <laughs> at first I was like, is this all happening at once? Like, give the child some space. Or she watched her father die in a fire. Yeah. But 
after that is the Scullion song, which is great. Yeah, yeah, I actually, I kind of like their song. It's got, like, a fun kind of beat to it. And... Yeah, it's not even, like, sung. It's more, like, chanted or, or, or spoken worded over top of some music. But it's still, I liked it. It was fun. Hey, did you know she has snakes for eyeballs? I once heard that she's ten feet tall. She never sleeps, only roams in darkness. One look from her and you'll burn with fire. Yeah. It, it kind of reminded me of the the mob song from Beauty and the Beast, where it's just that kind of like we're gonna get shit done, yeah. uh, song. Um, but the the third song that you can't place is just kind of it's just Odette sort of singing a lullaby to Elise after she has a nightmare, right? And that's when we have like the flashbacks for the first movie when they recreate the scenes. I remember. Yes, thank you. When the rain falls. But yeah, it's literally one right after the other. And yeah, again, it just feels like they were shoehorned in. Like maybe they didn't, they, again, they didn't think they were going to do songs in this one, but then they decided too late into the process. Oh, actually, shit, we do want to have songs. Uh, but did the swan, did the first one have songs? Or is this oh, yeah. another case? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, right. Because like the first, the opening. Yeah whole bit is about the song with Odette and Derek. Yeah. I forgot. This, yes. So this wasn't a case of no songs in the original, but now lots of songs. Yeah. The Every movie so far has been a musical at some point. Um, and I, I think part of why I, I wonder if they didn't originally plan to have songs in this one is because the Christmas movie... Um, they had a lot, they used a lot of, um, the traditional Christmas songs, so like Jingle Bells or... Okay. Um, so it wasn't so, like custom songs for the Swan Princess. Yeah. So, like, I think there, there were like, at least, there was at least one custom song for that one, but the rest of them, it was mostly filled with random Christmas songs. So it almost felt like they weren't quite confident enough to try and do songs again, but then something changed or maybe too, maybe it was just that they, they felt that it would be weird to include a song once the actual plot starts kicking off. Um, yeah. There's like really no room for songs once like care, like, like there's all this sort of plot going on. Yeah, it's, I guess it kind of reminds me... I don't know where me, they would have put one. Yeah, like, it kind of reminds me of Disney's Mulan, where the last song in that film is the Girl with Fighting For song. Oh, yes. And then they reveal the devastation. It's like, no more songs. Yeah, no more songs. I think you get a brief reprise of uh, Be A Man, but yes. there's no, like, after that, it's like, oh, shit. This got serious real fast, so no more songs for a while. Yeah. Which, yeah, I guess that makes sense. It was just, it was just weird to me that it was just sort of like, song, 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 done. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. Yeah. So I, I'll mention uh, one thing here, just on, on the note of Elise and her inclusion in the series, 
Um, you can actually find a good few interviews with Richard Rich and um, other members of the Swan Princess uh, production. Comp- uh, production. So Elise apparently um, was kind of suggested to be added into the series by Sony. Uh, he said that Sony felt that it was really important that Derek and Odette have a child. The team, I guess, didn't want to repeat the process of having her grow up like they did with the uh, first film. That uh, oh, okay. So instead, they came up with the solution of having Derek and Odette adopt Elise. So that gave them, uh, he says, the opportunity to give Derek and Odette a child who could already talk and have her own story. I mean, that makes sense. Hmm. I I. Yeah, I won't lie. At fir- when I first saw this one, I had kind of thought, did they maybe not want to give Derek and Odette a biological child because they wanted to keep them, even though they're a married couple, keep them with the illusion of being chased? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Even though even though it does open the movie with <laughs> yeah. of being like, y'all need to get busy. Yeah. Get on baby making. Get to it, Derek. Get to it. And again, Derek was on board. <laughs> I have I have some random tidbits for you for this one. Please. So, I don't know if you would have noticed, but all of the background peasants in this film are dressed in winter clothing because they are reused assets <gasps> oh, no. from the, the Christmas movie. <laughs> I didn't notice, but that makes sense. There is even one dude in, I believe it's in the the song where um, we want to hear from you, uh, trying to get Elise to talk. There is even one old man wearing a Santa hat. (laughs) Well. (laughs) And he's not hidden either. He's. I didn't notice him, so I guess it worked. Yeah, they could have they could have colored it differently, but it, no, it's just it's red and white Santa hat. <laughs> he presumably he just wasn't modeled. He was modeled with the hat, and they just didn't want to. Yeah, he had no hair under there, so yeah. they were like, "Listen, no one's gonna notice." And hey, I didn't mm. notice. <laughs> yeah, so I well done. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first movie in the series that does not have Odette being turned into a swan. I was going to say she does not, she does not swan at all. There's like a flashback to her being a swan, but there's no swan Mm -hmm. transforming at all. Yeah. Every, every other movie up to this point has made some reason or another to turn her into a swan. It's kind of disappointing that she didn't turn into a swan at all. I kind of, yeah, it'd be kind of neat if, Maybe she just, the last time that she got turned into a swan, that she just stayed that way. <laughs> and then she's just, she she is just the swan princess now. Yeah. Because she's a swan forever. Yeah. Or maybe it was like an animorph situation and she couldn't oh, like change back the entire way. She too long. Yeah. She went over her two hour time limit and now she's a swan forever. Yeah. Oh. Fuck, add that to the podcast list. I've, I've, I've already, to be honest, I've already listened to, uh, 
an entire oh. podcast of people re- rereading the entire Animorphs series, so I don't oh know. Oh my god. You might have to find someone else. That's, also, oh Morph Club is a really good podcast, not a, just as Shout a recommendation. Out. Shout out to Morph Club. <laughs> there's, there's several of them, Christy, I'm sorry. My recommendation, if y'all want a podcast, is Ernest Roulette, which is uh, a group of people going through every uh, Ernest movie. Oh my god. <laughs> and it was fantastic. I would highly recommend it. <laughs> so this was the podcast rec section of the <laughs> of, of yeah. our podcast. Yeah, this is what Swan Princess 5 does to you. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, back to back to the, the fun facts or the tidbits yes. about this movie. Yes. Um, so this is the first time that we see Odette in pants, um, probably because she's got a more action-oriented role in this movie, and also presumably that it's easier to animate than the uh, than a skirt. Yeah. I noticed she was wearing pants through most of the movie. It's like, that's cool. Hmm. No. And my, my last fun fact for you, Brie, is that uh, certain DVDs of this film come with a little foam crown that matches <gasps> matches the crown that Elise wears on the DVD cover. Oh, wonderful. So as you might expect, uh, <laughs> I ha- <laughs> you have this crown. Are you wearing ha- it now? Who's to say? Oh, I, I haven't gotten around to installing the cameras in your apartment yet, so oh, I don't know. Good. Good. It's all for the best, but yes, it's... (gasps) Oh, no. (laughs) All the tables have turned. (laughs) But yes, it's it's just a little foam crown that I'm now forever cursed to carry with me for the rest of my life so that I could make sure that my my, uh, copy of Swan Princess 5 is complete. Yes. Well, you don't want to... You don't want to separate parts of the package deal. No, you get Swan Princess Five. You get the you get the crown. Well, one day, whenever the Swan Princess series actually ends, which probably would be like I don't know, Swan Princess Thirty, um, Odette checks in to the nursing home. Um, when that <laughs> happens, I'll be able to sell my collection, my complete collection of Swan Princess movies oh for big God. bucks. Because, um, I feel like I remember you mentioning to me that the later Swan Princess movies are like like buy on demand at this point, right? Like There's print on demand so, movies? So far um, Swan Princess 8 for some reason they released it digitally and it wasn't until people complained that they put out a limited edition DVD of the film oh, on, the, okay. on their website. Um, allegedly, there were only going to be a thousand copies of this limited edition DVD sold, mm-hmm. but that movie was released a few years ago and you can still buy copies of it on their website. So either it was not limited edition after all, or they have not sold a thousand copies of the movie in <gasps> oh, like no. <laughs> at least like two, three years. Oh, uh, maybe they do have mostly digital sales now. You know? I know. I know currently the 10th Swan Princess movie is only digital right now, but they have mentioned DVDs are coming. It's probably just, again, with 2020 Ah, being the year that it is. Hell year. A little messed up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That makes sense. But uh, I think that's probably going to be it for the Swan Princess 5 breeze. Yeah, that was... I was a little worried going into the fifth movie in a series, um, mm-hmm. but that was a wild ride. And yeah. I actually... I, I At the end of it, I enjoyed it. There was a yeah. lot of little moments that I was like, oh no, this is silly. But... There was some genuine laughs that I had in this film. So it was a good time, and I'm looking forward to continuing on with more Swan Princess in the future. Oh, yes. It's going to be very interesting to see your reactions to them again, because these are all new to you. So I am I am very much looking forward to seeing uh, that's <laughs> how, how far the rabbit hole goes with you. It's, I'm. I can't wait to hop in this rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. I guess I have hopped in. Now I'm falling. Yes, this is. Yeah, <laughs> falling down this rabbit hole. Just a long, long fall. <laughs> God. Now, <gasps> before we do our normal closing out stuff, Bree, I wanted mm-hmm. to give you an update. <gasps> so. Last episode, we talked about the secret of Anastasia. And oh, yes. Particularly its similarities to the Bluth version. And um, we were kind of wondering how these similarities came about. Um, I, even, I even questioned how much information there would have been of the Bluth film and whether or not UAV de- deliberately copied some of the Bluth story for their take. Um, mm mm-hmm. After recording that podcast, I ended up looking up the origins of the Bluth version. And as it turns out, the Bluth version was itself inspired by a 1956 film also named Anastasia. Really? Yeah. And that film, that film, there's, it's kind of a similar thing where there's a guy training a woman who has amnesia to be Anastasia as part of a con. And then through the events of the movie, it becomes suggested that she is the actual Anastasia. And there's also oh. that a scene where Anastasia is taken to her grandmother to prove her identity. Oh, so um, they were both just based on an... Er- oh, yeah. Okay, that makes... It, well, that makes a lot more sense. In, in particular... The big thing that caught my eye when I was perusing the uh, movie on Wikipedia is that there is a character named Prince Paul von Hurldberg, who is listed on Wikipedia as a character uh, original to the movie. Okay. So, yeah. So I think that alone is pretty solid proof that yeah. UAV Entertainment, like Bluth, just based their film on the same 1956 story. Okay, so they just, they included the Prince Paul bit, whereas Blues did not. That yeah. makes so much more sense. Yeah, it's, I, I kind of feel bad for insinuating that maybe there was something more deliberately nefarious going on. Um, but yeah, no, this, this makes a lot more sense in that they were just both basing it. Sort of, so again, similar to what Golden Films would do a lot with the, whenever they would try and... Uh, lead off of a Disney film is that they're not copying the Disney film directly, they're just referencing the same material that Disney did. Mm-hmm. But in well, the- fair enough. Sorry, uh, UAV's Anastasia. That was that was on us. We mm-hmm. we both missed that. So 
y'all, you guys were just both looking at the same source material, which, fair enough. Fair mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. And, uh, this also, I, I'll also mention my count of how many Anastasia films are there out there has increased because <laughs> there, so there is, of course, The Secret of Anastasia by UAV Entertainment, Golden Films is Anastasia, Don Blues is Anastasia, Burbank Films is Anastasia, and then I also forgot there is uh, Dingo Pictures Anastasia, which is a very terrible film. <gasps> like and good then, terrible or just terrible terrible? Mostly terrible terrible. Oh, unfortunate. And then oh, no. there is there is also Anastasia Once Upon a Time, which is a brand new Anastasia film <gasps> that I literally discovered like two seconds after the podcast with, <laughs> with Brie, because I just happened to look at the IMDb page for The Secret of Anastasia, and it was oh. in the recommended. Um, and everything I've seen about that one says that it's amazingly, hilariously terrible. So I have ordered it, and I am looking forward Excellent. to that one. Oh, that should be good. Mm-hmm. I, I look forward to, to see if you will be putting this forth as another as another entry. Oh, I, into I, our storied catalog. Based on what I've seen in the trailer, I do believe that it will be making appearance on this podcast. So look forward Excellent. to that. Excellent. Good. Great. <laughs> but that brings this one to a close. So if you would like to see more Bad Princess movie content, you can follow us on Twitter at Bad Princess MOV. Uh, you could also view the catalog of bad princess movies at badprincessmovies.com and if you have a question or a comment you can feel free to send us an email at badprincessmovies at gmail.com send us your questions your comments your thoughts about the swan princess series anything Mm -hmm. steve (laughs) if if you're actually still listening to the podcast, make sure to email us so that I know you're listening. Otherwise, we're just going to talk, start talking smack about you for not listening to the podcast. Steve, this is your chance. Steve, you have to let us know. Steve, let us know. This is this is your true test of character, Steve. Steve. Steve, look at all Steve. the shoutouts we're giving you, Steve. Steve. We've said Steve <laughs> so many times in this episode that it's become meaningless. <laughs> What does Steve mean? We just don't know. But that'll be it for this one, guys. Thank you for tuning in and checking out the podcast. Checking out the podcast. (laughs) Good save. (laughs) Good save. We did it. We're good. We're good. All right. And cut. Bye! Bye! Good. The Swan Princess possesses will be yours. She will be no match for us. Her fight can't be outrun. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>